Open your Bibles with me just now to the book of Philippians and to the fourth chapter and verses 15 through 19. Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, chapter 4, verses 15 through 19. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Father, Paul, in talking about you supplying our needs, is talking about monetary needs primarily, but today we need to hear from you. We need you to fill up our souls, and we pray that you would do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul, you might remember, had a wonderful ministry in Philippi, this city to which this letter of his was posted. There was the quiet conversion of a woman named Lydia, whose heart the Lord gently opened as Paul preached one day to a gathering of ladies at the riverside. And then there was the noisy, demon-possessed slave girl who in the name of Jesus Christ was marvelously set free from her demonic bondage. And you may remember there was a tumult in the streets because of that when her owners discovered that a girl with no demons could no longer tell fortunes. And so great was the agitation in the city that Paul and his friend Silas were thrown in prison. And there... About midnight, with their feet fastened in the stocks, there in the prison house, Paul and Silas were singing, and the prisoners were listening to them, Acts 16. And God sent an earthquake, and the jailer was terrified for his life, fearing that all of his prisoners had escaped. And when he discovered that they were alive and that his life had been spared, this jailer began to be concerned about eternal things, and Paul explained to him the way of life. In Christ Jesus and the jailer and his family believed that very night. All this missionary activity you can read about in Acts 16. And it might make for encouraging Sunday afternoon reading and meditation on this second Sunday afternoon of Missions Week. Here is Paul the missionary and Silas his companion. And they arrive in Acts 16 in this great city of Philippi which has not yet heard the gospel. And when they leave at the end of Acts 16, they leave a church behind. Made up at the very least of both Lydia and the jailer's households and quite possibly of others as well who had been converted in between. And this is what missionaries strive for, to go to a town or to a village or to a countryside where the gospel has not been heard and to proclaim Christ there and to love the people there in Christ's name and to see a vibrant church formed by the time they leave. And Paul saw it in Philippi. And we pray that our missionaries will see it happen as well. 
But here's something that the young Philippian church understood and that we, of course, understand as well about these missionary endeavors, namely that they cost money. They cost money for missionaries to get to the mission field and to eat on the mission field and to have housing on the mission field and gas for their cars on the mission field, to buy Bibles for the people that live on the mission field and so on. It costs money. And I say that the Philippians understood that because when Paul writes to them here in this letter, which is now open on our laps, when Paul writes to the Philippian church sometime after his departure, sometime after he had moved on to other mission fields, he writes to them with a grateful heart, as we read here in Philippians 4, a grateful heart for their monetary support. Even in Thessalonica, verse 16, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Indeed, Paul, indeed Paul's gratitude for the Philippians' generosity with him seems to have been one of the reasons for him having set pen to paper in this letter in the first place because not only does he write about the Philippians generosity at length here beginning verse 10 of this chapter but he also alludes to their habit of giving right off the top of the letter when he speaks in chapter 1 verse 5 about the Philippian church's participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Their participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And when you compare what Paul says there in chapter 1 about participation in the gospel with what he says here in chapter 4 about monetary support, you discover he's talking about the same thing. The Philippian church from the very beginning, from the time, in other words, that they themselves had heard the good news about Jesus, this church had been supporting Paul's missionary labors so that others could hear about Jesus as well. They were participating in the gospel, chapter 1. They were sending money to their missionary, chapter 4. And it was all the same activity. They were instrumental, in other words, in getting the good news of Jesus out to many cities besides their own city simply because they opened their purse strings to support someone like Paul. They didn't all travel with him but they sent him on his way in a manner worthy of God. And thus the church at Philippi is a good church for us to consider. And Paul's thank you to the church at Philippi here in chapter 4 is a good word for us to consider during this season of our own church life where we are being stirred up to participate in the gospel by sending gifts to our own missionaries. And I hope you'll remember that phrase from chapter 1, verse 5. We're not going to linger there, but I hope you'll remember that phrase, participation in the gospel, and realize that that's what you're doing when you give to Lottie Moon or to other missionaries. You are participating in the gospel. You are participating in its advance, in its rapid spread, in the word of God being glorified among the nations. You are a part of the mission when you give to the missionaries. And as we look at what Paul says to the Philippians and about their monetary participation in the gospel, about their gifts to the missionaries, I want us to notice several things about their gifts. And I want us to make application to our own missionary generosity, to our own participation in the gospel at the ends of the earth. So first of all, note well here in chapter 4, In at least one season of Paul's life, the gifts that he received from Philippi were, first of all, rare gifts. Rare gifts, verse 15. 
Not to say that gifts from the Philippians were rare, because more than once, verse 16, they sent Paul a gift to meet his needs, and just recently, according to verse 10, they've sent another gift. And so gifts from Philippi weren't rare, but at least in one season of Paul's traveling with the gospel, gifts to his mission team were quite rare in general. For as Paul says in verse 15, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Now that's a bittersweet statement, isn't it? It's a sweet statement because even if no one else remembered Paul at this time, the Philippians did not forget him. But it's also somewhat of a sad statement because had it not been for the Philippians' monetary support for Paul's labors at this season of his life, missionary giving in regard to Paul and his compatriots would not have been called rare. It would have been called non-existent. At the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. Gifts, missionary gifts were rare at this time in Paul's life. Now, I don't know all the reasons why things may have stood that way. Perhaps Paul didn't even know all the reasons why other churches weren't sending money in. But whatever the reasons, it's a sad thing when a missionary called by God and sent out by God's people has to write something like Philippians 4.15. Or when he or she, even if he or she doesn't write it, is actually scraping to get by. That's a sad thing. Now, praise God that with this Lottie Moon Christmas offering and in regard to other missionaries we support as well, praise God that we are not in the place of the Philippians and that our missionaries are not in the same place as Paul. We are not the only church sharing in the matter of giving and receiving with the various missionaries we support and certainly not with this Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Praise God there are thousands of other churches giving to this offering and thousands of other churches giving to other missionaries as well, and a few churches giving to the other missionaries we support, so that we're not alone, and our missionaries wouldn't have to write like this, I don't believe. But let's always make sure that that is the case. Let's always make sure we do our part so that missionary giving doesn't become rare, so that none of our missionaries ever need to write to some church that no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone, so that they don't have to come home because they've run out of support, or they aren't stuck, not able to go because they didn't raise enough support. Let's be mindful from Philippians 4.15 here that it is possible for missionary support to wane, even with such a great missionary as Paul. Who wouldn't want to support Paul, right? And yet verse 15 reminds us it is possible for missionaries, even for someone like Paul, to be sometimes left out in the cold when it comes to the church's generosity back home. And let's do our part, like the Philippians, to make sure it never happens to our missionaries. Let's continue to be generous and consistent and faithful in giving. Let's make sure our giving is never rare. Let's be a church about whom the missionaries could write, verse 16, You sent a gift more than once for my needs. A gift more than once for my needs. And noticing that word needs at the end of verse 16 there, let's say in the second place that gifts, the, the gifts Paul received from Philippi were not only rare gifts on this occasion or in this season of his life, but they were also needful gifts. 
needful gifts, according to verse 16. You sent a gift more than once for my needs. And it's good that Paul puts it that way here at the end of verse 16. It's good that he speaks of his needs because elsewise that triumphant statement in verses 11 through 13 We didn't read it, but if you look at it, that triumphant statement in verses 11 through 13 might be misinterpreted sometimes so as to make Christians think or give ourselves an excuse to think, well, I mean, missionaries don't think about needs. Missionaries have this special gift from God to just not even think about things like new shoes or microwaves or gas money or whatever. Didn't Paul say that he learned to be content even with humble means? And, of course, Paul did say that. Listen to it, in fact, in those verses 11 through 13. He says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through through him who strengthens me. Now, that's a powerful statement, isn't it? It's a reminder that preachers, missionaries, gospel workers of all sorts ought not to be in it for the money and that they ought to be content with what they have and that they ought not to complain about salary or finances. Indeed, every Christian ought to pray that he or she would be able to say with Paul, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. But here's the thing. Being content... And learning the secret of contentment, even when suffering need, at the end of verse 12, is not the same as not having any need. Let me say that again to make sure you get it clearly. Being content, verses 11 and 12, learning the secret of contentment, even when suffering need, as Paul says at the end of verse 12, is not the same thing as not actually having any need. Else... Paul wouldn't have mentioned the idea there at the end of verse 12 of contentment even when suffering need. And he wouldn't have told the Philippians in verse 16 here that their gifts were meeting his needs. Paul needed the gifts that the Philippians sent him, verse 16, lest he find himself, verse 12, once again suffering need. He could live without his basic needs being met, verses 11 through 13, and he wouldn't complain if that were the lot that was dealt to him, but he still admits that certain things were not just wants, not just wishes, not just little added treats when far from home, but certain things were actual needs, verse 16. And so I call the gifts of the Philippians needful gifts. They were meeting a real actual need and I say to you that they are just as needful these missionary gifts for our missionaries who have to pay light bills and have to go to the hospital sometimes and put food on the table and replace the tires on their car from time to time and whose kids need school supplies and all these things that you and I need as well and I know all of this is obvious I don't have any doubts that you are sensitive to the fact that our missionaries have needs and so I'm not under this heading unaware that I'm stating the obvious, and I'm not scolding any of us for supposedly not realizing that our missionaries have needs too. I believe you do know that they do, and I believe you sympathize with that fact, and I see it in your giving, and through the years I've seen it in your giving. And yet, I also note that even though I believe you know our missionaries have needs, I also note 
that surely the other churches in verse 15 who weren't giving to Paul when Philippi was, surely these other churches knew about missionary needs just like we do. They knew that Paul needed to eat. They knew that Paul had travel expenses. They knew that Paul sometimes had to pay rent depending on where he was staying, and yet somehow their money wasn't coming through. And I think just maybe if they had stopped to remind themselves about Paul's worn-out sandals, for instance, or about his monthly grocery bill, perhaps these other churches would have been a little more apt to give, a little quicker to send a gift, verse 16, for his needs. And so even though we know that our missionaries need to live and pay for things just like we do, it's good to remind ourselves so that we don't let them be out of sight and out of mind. So just keep this in mind when you think about our missionaries in the far-flung and exotic places. We may sort of romanticize it a little bit. And there is an adventure and there is a romance to going to the mission field, living out in the far reaches, living by faith, sharing Christ with those who've never heard, eating strange things, learning a whole new culture and language and so on. There is a, a romance to it all. And yet, even amid all the adventure, there's still bills to pay. And there's still shopping runs to make and meals to prepare and a hundred other mundane things that missionaries have to do, just like we do, some of which cost money, things that we might not tend to think about on the top of our mind when we have a romantic view of the missionary life. But if we can remember that these things are so, we can help pay for them. And so I say our gifts to the missionaries are needful gifts, just as needful as your own paycheck coming every week or month or bi-weekly or whenever. And I thank you, Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church, for being generous with these needs in times past. And I urge you, like the Philippians, to enable our missionaries to say, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So, that's the second thing. These missionary gifts from Philippi, at least in this one season of life, season of life, were rare gifts and they were needful gifts. And then in the third place, they were profitable gifts. Verse 17, profitable gifts. And by this I mean not that they were profitable to Paul who received them, but that they were actually profitable, he says, to the Philippians who did the giving. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, Paul says, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And what is Paul getting at when he speaks about the profit which increases to the Philippians' account when they give to missions? Is he referring here to some sort of system whereby if the Philippians gave enough money and thereby laid up enough merit in their accounts, they would be able to merit heaven? Is this a heavenly pay-to-play scheme whereby we earn a spot in heaven by being ever so generous with our missionaries? Is this salvation by works here when Paul talks about giving and then gaining a profit from it? Specifically, is it salvation by the work of putting money in the plate for the missions offering? Well, the answer is by no means. This is the same apostle who taught us that by grace you have been saved through faith, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that we won't be in heaven, in other words, boasting that we got there by how much money we gave to Lottie Moon. But rather, we'll be in heaven extolling grace. We'll be extolling God's free gift of eternal life, won't we? 
which is ours, not because of any merit or donation of our own, but because of the merits of Christ Jesus our Lord, who donated, who gave his blood and his life for our sins. We will be in heaven echoing the words of this same Paul in chapter 3 of this same letter, verses 7 through 9. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. We won't be in heaven and we shouldn't be on earth boasting that we're right with God because of what we gave, but we should say all of that is rubbish. And what I actually am counting on is not any of my righteousness that I've achieved by my efforts, but the righteousness of Christ on my behalf. And so, Verse 17, back to chapter 4, verse 17 is not Paul's way of telling us that we can get to heaven by giving to Lottie Moon. No, only Christ can pay our entry into eternal life, and he's done so already for all who believe. And I hope you believe. But if Paul is not speaking in verse 17 about an account that we must fill up in order to merit heaven, what sort of account is he speaking of? Well, I believe he's referring here in verse 17, what he's referring to is is not an account that will get us into heaven, but rather an, an account from which we will be rewarded and blessed once we have arrived there on the gracious coattails of Jesus Christ. Our entry into heaven is based solely on the merits of Christ, but our rewards in heaven come out of an account, to use Paul's language here, out of an account that we ourselves build up by means of our faithfulness in this life. And so what Paul is saying here is that I'm writing to you, Philippians, about your missionary giving, and in doing so, I'm not just talking about money ultimately, and I'm not seeking the money for myself, verse 17a. I'm actually wanting you to be generous with the cause of missions, Philippians, because your missionary generosity is producing heavenly reward for you. It's producing heavenly profit for you. And I want you to have that reward. I want you to have that profit, Paul says. Now, what sort of profit is he talking about? What sort of reward is he talking about? I don't know a great deal about what all our heavenly rewards will be like. But let me tell you what I believe is surely one of the rewards and perhaps the primary one that these Philippians are enjoying Because of their generosity with their missionary, the Apostle Paul, even now, the Philippians in heaven are enjoying one particular reward, and I want you to think about what it is. One of the missionary ports of call to which Paul went when he left Philippi was, as we read in verse 16, the city of Thessalonica. And some of you will remember from Wednesday night that Paul had a brief but remarkable ministry in Thessalonica. There was great opposition to the gospel and to Christ, and so Paul was only able to stay there for three weeks. But in those three weeks, we're told in Acts 17, a large number of people came to faith. A large number of people came to Christ. And who is footing the bill when Paul left Philippi and went to Thessalonica? Who was paying for that missionary venture? It was these Philippians, wasn't it? Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, 
you sent a gift more than once for my needs. And so, what reward are the Philippians enjoying right now in heaven because of their generosity with their missionary? They're enjoying the reward of the Thessalonians themselves being there with them. They're enjoying the joy of their fellowship and the knowledge that God used our gifts and our missionary to bring his gospel to these Thessalonians. And this is the profit that Paul wants to see increased in the Philippians' heavenly accounts. The profit of souls won to Christ with whom, side by side, we will adore the Savior forever. This is the reward. And this is the profit not only that Paul was seeking for the Philippians, but that he himself was seeking. He wasn't on the mission field for money, he says in verse 17. He had needs, as we saw, yes, in verse 16. But compared to his discussion in verse 17 about heavenly reward, his mention of his earthly needs is really only in passing. Because what he was really after, both for himself and for the Philippians and for the glory of God, was the reward of souls won to Christ. The profit of souls joining us in heaven. That's why he was thankful when money came in. Not just so that he could get new shoes, but so that the new shoes would take him to preach to sinners. Not just so that he could eat, but so that the food would sustain him to keep preaching the gospel. And when he preached that gospel... And when our missionaries preach it today, there is heavenly profit. There is heavenly reward that gathers in the accounts, both of the preacher and of those who support him, the reward of souls. And so our mission's gifts, like those of the Philippians, are profitable gifts. And in heaven someday, we will enjoy the reward of our giving in the faces of Moroccans and Mozambicans and Central Asians and so on, gathered around the throne of Christ, partially and humanly speaking, because we gave. And that is what Paul means, or at least part of what Paul means when he says in verse 17, I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Missionary giving is profitable giving. And then notice also that the Philippians' gifts to Paul, along with others he may have received at this time, notice that these gifts were, in the fourth place, sufficient gifts. Verse 18, sufficient gifts, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, and, uh, amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. I am amply supplied, he says. Now, I won't dwell on this point too long because I think it's fairly clear, but I just will say let's make sure our missionaries can talk like that always. Praise God if in his providence they should learn the secret of contentment even when they are not amply supplied, verse 12. But let's do our part to enable them to say very simply, I've received everything in full and have an abundance I am amply supplied, having received what you have sent. So then, rare gifts, needful gifts, profitable gifts, sufficient gifts, and then fifthly, from the end of verse 18, fragrant gifts as well. Missionary gifts are fragrant gifts. At the end of verse 18, Paul calls the Philippians' gifts a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. 
In other words, it wasn't just Paul who was blessed by the Philippians meeting his needs, and it wasn't just the Philippians who were blessed by the profit that increased to their accounts, and it wasn't just the Thessalonians or other lost people who were blessed because they themselves heard the gospel and were brought to new life in Christ. All of that was true when the Philippians gave to missions, and all of it is true when we give to missions. When you give to missions, the missionaries are blessed, you yourself are blessed, the nations are blessed, but also, according to verse 18, God is blessed. God is pleased. God finds your gifts to Lottie Moon, your purchase of toys for Operation Christmas Child, your weekly giving to these offering plates. God finds these things a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to himself. Think about the delightful smells of Christmas. Apple and cinnamon, evergreen, the aroma of Christmas dinner wafting from the kitchen, We are so well pleased by these smells that some of them at least have been duplicated in candles and canisters so that we can smell them all Christmas long and even beyond if we choose. And your missions giving is something like that to the Lord, a fragrant aroma, well pleasing to God. Even more so, your gift is like the fragrance of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. The lambs, the grains, the incense, all arising in smoke and making a sweet smell for God. Because he says, what you have sent is a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. Over and again, the Old Testament speaks of its sacrifices as a soothing aroma to the Lord. The sacrifices that the people brought and that the priests offered were pleasing in God's nostrils. And now Paul says that our offerings, no longer of animals and grains and incense, but our monetary offerings to the cause of Christ are of the same order. They are a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And that's enough, isn't it? Even if we were not moved by any of the other motives by the need of the missionaries, by the profitability of, to ourselves, by the salvation of the lost, even if we weren't moved by any of those other motives to give to missions, it would be enough for us to give and to give generously simply to know that when we place our gifts in that plate, when we give to the cause of world missions, it is a sweet-smelling aroma to our king. Isn't that the sort of thing that you're shooting for in your Christmas shopping? I know there are other factors involved in determining what you're going to buy, things like budget and usefulness and maybe other considerations as well. But at the end of the day, when you're buying Christmas gifts, don't you want to get your loved one something that will make him smile, something that will be sweet to her, something that will be like a fragrant aroma? Let's give that way to God, too. And one way you can know that you're doing so, one way you can know that God will enjoy your gift is when you give to his missionaries. Such a gift is, verse 18, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So then, the Philippians' missionary gifts were rare gifts, needful gifts, profitable gifts, sufficient gifts, fragrant gifts, and finally, I want you to see that they were also painless gifts. Verse 19, painless gifts. Some of us, for some of us, by nature, parting with money is painful. 
Some of us suffer from what one Scotsman called short arms and deep pockets. And so our immediate knee jerk when we begin thinking about missions giving or really just money going out of the account in general, our immediate knee jerk reaction is a painful knee jerk reaction. We start thinking about how much money we're already spending for Christmas or how little we have left in our rating day fund or we start asking all sorts of what ifs about possible future expenses or just in general we start worrying that we won't have enough money if we give generously to Lottie Moon. Indeed some of us don't even really have to think about any of these things. We're just hardwired some of us to stash money rather than to spend it or to give it. And sometimes that comes in handy, sometimes not. And the Christian life, as I hope you know, is a process of God slowly rewiring us in all sorts of ways to conform to his will, including the way that we think about money. And the way this passage is going to do that is by reminding us that it won't actually hurt us at all to give money to missions. It will not hurt you at all to give money to missions because amid all this talk of the Philippians' generosity, Paul reminds them in verse 19, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Did you listen well? Writing to these generous Christians, Paul and the Holy Spirit in back of him says to them, God will supply all your needs. God will supply all your needs. God will supply all your needs. There is not a need you Philippians have, Paul says, that God will not ultimately meet. That didn't mean that there wouldn't be lean times in their lives or times as with Paul in verse 12 when for a season they might suffer need. But ultimately, God was not going to leave his people in Philippi hanging. Why? Well, to be honest, I'm not sure if the promise here to supply all the Philippians' needs is just a general promise. God always meets the needs of his people, and so he'll meet your needs, Philippians. That's true, God always does meet the needs of his people, right? Romans 8.28. That may be what Paul is getting at here. It's also possible that in addition to such general promises that God will meet our needs, it's also possible that God is making a special promise here in verse 19 to the Philippians and to others like him to the effect that if you give generously to my cause, you'll never have to worry about making ends meet. If you supply the missionaries' needs, well then my God will surely supply all your needs. If it's the latter kind of promise, if it's a special promise to those who are generous with the cause of the gospel, then this may be another kind of prophet to which Paul is referring in verse 17, and which increases to our accounts when we're generous with the missionaries. Maybe verse 19 is a reminder that in addition to heavenly reward, there's also earthly reward with those, for those who are generous. We could certainly demonstrate that to be true from other places in Scripture, even if it's not exactly what Paul has in mind here. But which is it? Is God promising provision in verse 19 simply because that's what he promises all believers? Or is he promising provision here specifically because the Philippians have been generous with their finances and God is going to reward them for it? 
Or is it a little bit of both? Well, any way we slice, any way we interpret Philippians 4.19, it is demonstrable from the rest of the Bible that God does make both these kinds of promises. God does promise to provide the needs of all his people. And God does especially promise provision to those who are generous. And what that means is that, back to our sixth point here, our giving to missions is ultimately painless giving. God is not going to let your generosity to your missionaries put you in the poorhouse. He's not going to let your generosity with his cause come back to bite you or hurt you. That's not what God is like. For, says Paul elsewhere to all believers, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Even when they give more than they thought they could give to the missions offering, God will make that work for good. And, says Jesus specifically to the generous, give and it will be given to you. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And if you believe that, then you'll be able to give to this offering and to the cause of Christ in many other ways without fear that any pain will come from it. And when you stand before Christ's throne and see that all of this life's pains really were ever so brief, And when you see all of Christ's people gathered there from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, purchased with his blood and evangelized some of them by your giving, and indeed even by this Lottie Moon offering, and when you see Christ himself there on the throne, enjoying the aroma of your generosity in the songs of these tribes and tongues to his name, then... Even if you doubt it now, you will doubt no more in that day that every penny spent for Christ and for heaven was worth it.